It is my pleasure to introduce, not introduce, to welcome back. And so I might say what a friend we have in Sean Brennan. <laughs> and his family, and his family is here with him, Ali and the crew. Could you please stand? Would we want to? One of them is a definitely a Bahama mama. Yeah. Thank you. Pastor Sean, who was a former youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And it is, I think, significant. One of his probably last official duties here was an installation um, service where uh, Pastor Terrence Pinder uh, was installed as our youth pastor, having been mentored um, by Pastor Sean Brennan over a period of about 18 months. And so here he is again in our service when we are again installing and commissioning our pastors. And so it is with sheer delight that I want to welcome back to the pulpit our friend, your brother, Sean Brennan. Please welcome him. Thank you, my brother. It's good to see you. Good morning, Calvary Bible Church. It is a wonderful privilege for me to get to be together with you here in this place. There's a tsunami of emotions if you see me sitting up here and the smile from cheek to cheek, it's because I'm giggling, first of all, because I have seen with my own eyes Pastor Winley Fowler put his leg over the podium um, <laughs> while he was preaching. Um, I, I laugh because I see Pastor Anthon, and I look at Anthon, and I remember on his wedding day, him walking down the aisle, pulling out the microphone and singing a beautiful serenade to his bride-to-be. And all the men in the room felt much less of men when they were married on that day. But today, here at Calvary Bible Church, it is my great privilege to reflect back on what was about 13 years ago that Pastor Lee made a call to Dr. Gene Getz, where I was a pastor serving in, in Dallas, Texas, underneath his leadership. And he asked about a man kind of like me, and one thing after another, my beautiful bride, who you just saw, decided that God was calling us to this place. And I want to suggest this morning, before we dive into the passage that God's placed on my heart, when God calls, we go. It's not a debate. It's not a discussion. When He makes that statement to us, friends, we do not stand back and say, hmm, maybe, or we don't count the cost. But instead, what we do is we stand back and we say, God, You are enough. You are faithful and I would say this before you today, recognizing that my life, my, my life as a pastor, my privilege of serving the Lord, every time I've chosen to take him at his word, I have found myself so richly, deeply blessed that I stand before you today smiling because of that faithfulness of our Lord. There was a day in my life a little over a year ago that I was in Liberia, Africa, and I sat in front of a church that was about this size, but there was no electricity in the bush where this church was, and so they had to run a generator. So in the hum of the generator in the background, I stood before this church, and I had the privilege of teaching God's Word. One thing that I noticed right away was that there were gentlemen that were walking around carrying sticks with them, and I realized that in that culture and in that place, if you start to dive for conks there... that there is a well-equipped individual that is there to make sure 
that you stay alert. So we passed out branches to all of the ushers today um, in case I go a little long or I'm just a little bit boring. (laughs) But I will say to you, in that place, as I preached and as I listened, there was a group of individuals that stood up and they sung these simple words. You are enough, O Papa. You are enough, O Daddy. And the words that they communicated sounded to me as if they were speaking directly to their Heavenly Father. There was no show. um, There was no pretense. But there was a sense of the very presence of God. And what was so hard for me in that place and on that day to hear those words come out of those individuals' mouths is that I watched in the days of ministry prior to this, those very individuals not know where their daily bread was going to come from. Those individuals that sung those words, you are enough, oh Papa, that those individuals would probably be fortunate to have one solid meal in that day. They looked at food like you and I think of gasoline for our cars. The soccer ball sat on the the field that was next to the church and didn't get used because there wasn't enough food to fuel the bodies of the children to play the games. I snuck out after I had preached in a different setting and I watched young men and women fight over the bones from the meal that I had eaten earlier that day. And they explained to me as I, as I sat down with them and I loved those children and I talked with them and just listened. They explained to me the way to take a chicken bone and to get it into your throat in such a way that it gets down into your stomach and that your body can digest it so that you don't starve to death. You are enough, oh Papa. You are enough, oh Daddy. Those words portray a secret that has been lost in our day and age. A secret that seems to be something that is so necessary for us to be reminded of. And that is godliness with contentment leads to fantastic gain in the life of the individual. Their circumstances were horrific, but their God was sufficient. And friends today at Calvary Bible Church, I consider it a huge privilege, and I'll ask you to join me in opening your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at six very significant verses. I love John Piper's statement that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. In him. And as you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, I remind you that the Apostle Paul, the man that had gone through probably more trials as a Christ follower than any other human being that had walked the earth, that that individual would stand up and look at this young pastor and he would warn him, the storms are coming. But the storms are coming, young Pastor Timothy. And this storm is going to look like individuals like we read earlier today, that, that seek tickled ears. Where this is going to look like individuals that trade their godliness and their relationship with the Lord for something that is a compromise. Like Esau, where he had a meal that he chose to satisfy his appetite for a second, that he would be hungry again hours later. 
that Esau would, would compromise his very birthright for instant gratification. And I look at these words that the Apostle Paul communicates to his young son, Timothy. And I can remember, actually, Pastor Lee, it's, it's such a treat to get to see you. You taught me this passage of Scripture in the days that I got to study underneath your leadership here, as you gave us devotions as pastors here in this context. And these words have pierced my heart because they challenge me because I'm selfish, I'm greedy, I long for more. I don't feel content at times with what God has given me, so I look for something else. And I listen to these words and I hear them and I ask you to follow along with me as I read them. But godliness with contentment. Just can you hear the tone, my son, my boy, young man, young fella, as Pastor Lee would say. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. When Karis was born at doctor's hospital, she came with no luggage. <laughs> when she was born, and so many of you visited us in that hospital to meet this little girl that came into the world, my daughter, she came with nothing. And he says, we brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of the world. Verse 8, but if we have food and if we have clothing, some of your Bibles say shelter, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into great temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Before we go on, have you ever thought of that phrase, love of money? Have you ever considered loving something that cannot return love back? It's an empty love, isn't it? It hurts when it's someone that you care for, right? Unrequited love. Money is a love that cannot repay. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. New pastors established today, returning to the post. O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The first point this morning that flows from the first six verses here, I'm sorry, the first two verses here, is simply this. True contentment makes poor men rich. True contentment makes poor men rich. We need to define these terms that show up in the first verse here, but godliness with contentment. Godliness is a devotion to God which results in a life that is pleasing to Him. Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, describes individual after individual that had great contentment in the Lord because they were devoted to Him. And the second is contentment. It's satisfaction with what God has been given that has been given to us. Can you picture with me for a second the Garden of Eden? And can you imagine for a second the beauty of the creation that God had placed in Adam and Eve's hands? Can you imagine for a second how wonderful it would have been to have the freedoms and the access and the just the enjoyment and creation is surrounding them and it's thriving and it's beautiful. But there's one thing they cannot have. One thing that God has said not to touch. 
And what do they do? What not to eat? What do they do? Um, They lust, they desire, they take what God has not given them. You know, you look at Job's great test and you recognize that Job was a man who was told that he would he, he experienced this reality of everything being stripped away. And at the end of that, the question was, was God going to be enough for him? And to varying degrees, he passed this test. It is interesting for us to recognize that God has blessed the individual that, that truly is content with a great faith and with a great blessing. As we mentioned John Piper before, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I love this statement. When godliness is added to contentment, there is great, great victory. I have a friend whose son went through a terrible, terrible disease. And in that process, he wrestled with this particular passage of Scripture with me. And he said, just because God chose not to heal my son, does that make him not a good God anymore? And I heard those words and my thought, my friend, you are so right. What he was communicating is that God is good even when he chooses not to heal. God is good when he gives us a yellow yellow light and not a red light or a green light. When he says, wait and trust me, trust me. But godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich... Matthew 13 calls this the deceitfulness of wealth. Do you guys know about the deceitfulness of wealth? Have you experienced that, that quest to get that one thing more? Have you walked? I love, I love walking outside of the Atlantis to go look at those great boats. Um, mine's parked out there right now. Um, I'll let you guess which one it is. But, but you, you notice, right, that as you walk along, you see one yacht and it's 120 feet long. And then there's another right next to it. That's 125 feet, right? And then 126, and then somebody's got a Jeep, and somebody's got a helicopter. And we, we are people that desire to have one thing more, one thing better. The deceitfulness of wealth, as described in Matthew 13, the desire to be rich is a temptation. It says in the text that it falls into... They, the person who falls into temptation falls into a snare. The image in my mind is of a crawfish hotel set aside so the crawfish find their comfortable place. And then later on, the Segelian goes and finds them and, and snatches them out of underneath the hotel. They were comfortable, but they were grabbed. The individual with the fish pot that sits it out in the right place that looks alluring and tasty but it is a snare that plunges the person into ruin. It's interesting in the Greek here that there's a separate word that's in Scripture that's used to describe this love of money. It's a unique word to the concept because it is so natural to human beings. And it says here in this text, it is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I want to talk for a second about that word piercing. We are in the season of celebrating the piercing of the Lord Jesus Christ. The recognition that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And this very same word is used in describing the piercing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But who's doing the piercing in the text? 
It is fascinating to see that the individual that seeks money, that has a lust for money, that craves it, is the individual that pierces themselves with many pangs or many griefs. This is a warning to the Christ follower that has slidden back, and this is a warning to the non-believer. If you continue to love money, you cannot love Jesus at the same time. There's not enough room inside of your heart to love both things. So we see the opposite, a second point this morning. The appetite for, that, um, for more makes a rich person poor. The appetite for more makes the rich person poor. My father is a real estate broker, and he tells the story in Ohio of a man who was sent to pick up another individual that was moving into a home that he managed um, all of their things and their family across the country. And so the moving van made it out, and they loaded these folks' stuff up. And on the way back, there was a, a, a journey that took them through Las Vegas. Um, now, some of you have maybe been to Las Vegas. Some of you have heard of Las Vegas. But there's plenty of love of money in Las Vegas. And there, that individual found himself gambling and, and trying to make a buck, that driver of the truck. And he finally realized that he had lost all of his money. And in, in a quest to just make back what he had lost, he went to the pawn shop. He opened up the back of the moving truck. And he sold the items that he was carrying across the country. These individuals' things because of the fact that he wanted so desperately. The consequences he had ignored completely. But the reality was, was that his love for money was so great. Can you imagine the disaster and the destruction? Dostoevsky says it this way. The world says you have needs, satisfy him. Them. You have as much right as the rich and the mighty. Don't hesitate to satisfy your needs. Indeed, expand your needs and demand more. This is the worldly doctrine of today. And they believe that this freedom, this result of the rich, this result for the rich is isolation and suicide. For the poor, it is envy and murder. John D. Rockefeller, the great oil baron, I can remember Charlie quoting this in his class that he makes this statement often that that, that, or he made this statement famously, how much money um, did he need to earn? And it was one dollar more was the statement. The, elsewhere, he said, I know nothing more despicable and pathetic than a man who devotes all the hours of the working day to the making of money for money's sake. He later said in a Sunday school class, it is wrong to assume that men of immense wealth are always happy. I say this to say to us that there's something, and let me let me say this, let me let me remind you of this, friends, this morning. That, that those of us that quest more. Now, we can put this in the context. We've been talking about this in the context of financial wealth, right? And we've been saying that for each of us, we may desire something more than what God has chosen to give to us. But it is also possible for us to recognize in this place that we look at, at what other people have and we say, I need that. I deserve that. Let me remind you about our God. That one thing that he has access to is great wealth. He tells us in his word that he has the cattle on a thousand hills. Do you remember people pluck coins out of fish's mouths? Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, that, that he was an individual that took water and turned it into wine, which this was not a bottle of wine, but this was a vat of wine that represented great wealth. And the God of the universe has access to endless wealth. And yet he chooses not to give it to us all of the time, and in the same proportion. 
So the question we must ask ourselves is, what is he trying to teach us? And the thought comes back to my mind, friends, this morning, that God is enough. He is sufficient. He is, he is the God that knows our needs and chooses to give us what we, we can receive because he wants us desperately, like the Liberian man that sings that song, to depend on him and to say, you are enough, oh Papa. You are enough, oh Daddy. So we must accept that he has a purpose in choosing not to give us everything that we want. Verse 11, But as for you, O men and women of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. Remember in 1 Peter, we're told that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. He is sufficient. And this true contentment does not lead to us. As he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called and about which you were made in the good confession and the presence of many witnesses. That true contentment is not laziness. It is actually a call to action. For the fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It is interesting to hear the words of Billy Graham. He says this, Modern man has become a spectator of world events. Observing on his television screen without becoming involved, he watches the ominous events of our times pass before his eyes while he sips his beverage in a comfortable chair. He does not seem to realize what is happening to him. He does not understand that this world is on fire and that it is about, he is about to be burned up with it. This passage is not about condoning laziness. Did you see what it says? It says flee. I have this mental image of, I have a, an older brother. He's six foot four, Arnold Schwarzenegger built, just a super strong guy. And we were cleaning out a shed and there was a bumblebee's nest inside. And these bumblebees, um, for whatever reason, had my brother's number um, and they knew where to find him and to land in his hair. And so I remember this, this cleaning up process and seeing a bumblebee land on his hair and I'm pointing. I can't even talk because I'm scared that the bumblebee's gonna, you know, get him. And, uh, DJ just starts sprinting, running down the road. So my big strong brother's running and sprinting. And then he finally, I make it to the door and we open it up and that bumblebee's just humming right outside the, you know, deal. He just wants him so bad. This, this image in my mind is what I see when it says flee. Friends, this, this is not uh, something that we just hang around and, and toy with, that we tempt ourselves with. But, but instead, this is one of those times where we find ourselves deeply, deeply depending on the sufficiency of the Lord. It is not just about money. It is about our circumstances. It is about our health. Some of you have, have shared, and I have rec- recognized here in this place, that in the years that we've been gone from Calvary Bible Church, as we've been in California and in Ohio, that, that there have been wonderful people that have gone to be with the Lord. Wonderful friends here, and some of you recognize that loss. And others, we've found our, our hearts broken and challenged by individuals that we love that are going through great times of struggle. And I wanted to, to mention at this point that, that as we recognize that the Lord is not only a God that cares about us, I love that Lazarus at the point of being broken um, as the point of his body being broken, that the Lord Jesus wept for the one that he lost, um, but also in the reality of knowing that he was going to raise him from the dead. I find that to be such an encouragement. But the Lord says, 
Come to me when you're weary and heavy laden, for I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I have this image. I came across this article recently, and it was a study that was done in 2006, and it involved the grouper and the murray eel. Some of you have no doubt seen the grouper and the murray eel. And what it described was a scientific study that had been found that the grouper and the murray eel um, in Australia have been found to partner together. The murray, murray eel um, is, a, is a night dweller. It is a, one that lives in the night, and the grouper hunts during the day. But what the grouper will do, according to this study, and it's been, been repeated in multiple journals scientifically, is that the grouper will go and it will find the closest murray eel, and it will do a little dance around that murray eel. And it will basically arouse him from his nocturnal slumber. And it will say, come hunt with me. And in this process, the two will go. And the murray eel can go through crevices and cracks that the grouper itself cannot get to. And they say that this, this hunting process is one where the two are not sharing the same prey, but they're actually attacking different prey. But it's completely in syncopation together. The descriptions, if you check this out online, you'll be amazed to see the two fish or the two sea creatures partnering together. That image, friends, for those of you who are struggling with individuals who are hurting, that are, that are, um, you're experiencing the pain of they're struggling physically with their bodies, that image is what I imagine the Lord Jesus, when we are told to co-labor with him or that he partners with us, that he is the one that comes to us and says, buddy, come with me. There's a place for us to go. And we can do this together. And I want you to trust me through this process. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. And for some of you here today, I'm guessing you need encouraged about that. For others of you this morning, as we look at these familiar words in 1 Timothy, I want to remind you that our dependence on the Lord when it comes to our prayer lives can be something that can be fantastic as we entrust our lives to the Lord. So when the Liberian stands back and they say, God, you are enough, O Lord, You are enough, oh, daddy. They're praying for their daily bread. But for you and I, we may be praying for the deepest pangs of our hearts and we depend on the Lord, but we do not take what he hasn't given to us willfully. One of my favorite pastors, preachers, teachers is Chuck Swindoll. He was the president of Dallas Seminary when I was at Dallas. And he tells this story um, of a, a woman who had depended on the Lord through a great season of dryness in her life. And he tells this story. He received a letter from a woman who said that she didn't get married until she was 31 years old. And up until that point, she prayed regularly for a husband. She said that every night before she went to sleep, she hung a pair of men's pants on the bedpost and knelt down um, to pray for this simple prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. All right. That's good. So um, Pastor Swindoll on his church, I love that he's honest with this in the book that I read. He said, I have no idea how this fit into his sermon, but he just shared this message. He said, just had to share this letter. Um, Father in heaven, hear my prayer. Grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. And then he received this, this next note, the follow-up. After he had shared it with the congregation, a few weeks later, he got this note from one of the mothers in his church. Dear Chuck, I'm wondering if I should be worried about something. It has to do with our son. For the last two weeks, I've noticed that before he turns the light out and goes to sleep at night, he hangs a women's bikini over the foot of his bed. Should I be concerned about this? (laughs) 
You know, there's nothing wrong with us looking at the God, the Jehovah Jireh, the provider of all things, and for us to look at Him and say, God, I need Your presence in my life right now. God, I am desperate for You. God, maybe it's not a daily bread type prayer, but You're praying for something from the deepest parts of Your soul. This message is not saying to you, ignore the fact that God is the great provider. But what it is saying to you this morning is if you've fallen in love with money, it will not repay the favor. If you have fallen in love with things that God has not given to you, it will, you will find yourself deeply, completely alone in that process. In Canada, we were doing some ministry in Canada in this past year, and there was a tribal elder that I sat down with, and he pointed to a beautiful bald eagle. And he said, Pastor Sean, you know what's something that I have observed with my own eyes? As I've seen the bald eagle fly down and, and pick up a salmon that was so big that once it's got, it got its talons inside the meat of that fish, the eagle was not strong enough to carry the salmon, but it was not smart enough to let go of the salmon. And he literally watched it drowned in the sea. The reality was its, its claws and its greed, its desire was so great that it did not realize that in that process, it was choosing to drown itself. Friends, this is what I see flowing out of the words of 1 Timothy. This is what I see dripping from the powerful warning of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He's saying, my friend, there is a love that you can have, a lust that you can have in your life for money that will disappoint you, that will destroy you. So Calvary Bible Church, on this day where I stand here and I see you and I find myself so overwhelmed with the memories that we shared together, I can remember Pastor Lee um, calling um, Charlie on Rose Island when there was a great storm when we were doing the wave and he wanted to make sure that we were not all getting fried out there, not sunburned, but, but there was a huge lightning storm that was hitting and I can just remember these, these times that we shared together that were so rich. But I look at this, this place on this day and Calvary Bible Church, my encouragement to you is to recognize that God is sufficient. Whether it is that He meets our expectations of Him or not, that He knows our deepest, greatest desires and He knows what it means for us to be satisfied. But for some of us, we're ignoring that. And we need to hear the warning of this passage that says, if you continue to do this, you will be trapped, ensnared, piercing yourself with the deceitfulness of wealth. But my friends, if you can understand in your life the combination of godliness combined with contentment, then life is good. You are enough, oh Papa. You are enough, oh Daddy. Father God, I come before you this morning and I thank you for your sufficiency. I thank you, Lord, for your provision for us that goes so much further than what we could ever hope or imagine. And Lord, I pray for Calvary Bible Church right now. I recognize in this place with 
with the privilege of having such a strong and godly leader for so long in this place at Calvary Bible Church, as Pastor Lee continues to serve here, but in this time of great transition, I pray for Calvary Bible Church. I pray that they would look at these past 50 years of blessing that they have experienced here on Collins Road. Um, Lord, I pray that they would find themselves, that we would find ourselves deeply encouraged by what you've done. But Lord, that this story has a continuation, that there is hope in our midst, that you are enough, O God, and that you have a continued story. And Lord, I pray that you would use this church for at least another 50 years to allow it to be a great blessing, to be a lighthouse in the midst of the darkness of a world that wants to surround itself with religion or with carnality or with self-desires, with individualism. And Lord, in the midst of all of this, I want to say to you as my Abba Father, you are enough, O God. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.